episode 305 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm your host, Canada. Happy Monday morning, everyone. Before we kick off this show, we have to say a very, very happy, happy birthday to Chris Marquette at Cointaker. Amazing guy, amazing company, huge, huge member of the pinball community. And Chris, hope you have a great, great birthday. Uh, I sent you over in an Oktoberfest, so it should get there any minute now, all right? Hope you enjoy it. All right, what else is going on in pinball? Uh, Danny Peck, we want to congratulate her on winning the New Zealand Pinball Championship. I mean, this is amazing. Danny, I don't even know how old Danny is now, 15, 16, um, daughter of Roto Dave. But Danny, congratulations. I saw that on Facebook, and I thought that was super cool that you are the New Zealand Pinball Champion. So congrats again. Um, one more thing I want to mention, and before I get to this episode where a very special guest is returning, and you know him as uh, the Black Knight, Christopher Thompson. We've been trying to get him back on the show for a really long time. Uh, so a couple things I want to mention before we air that interview. Number one, I wanted to uh, say something about a little bit of pinball drama that I promised a friend of mine, Christopher Franchi, I would mention because he keeps asking me, he's like, Canada, I can't believe you've avoided talking about the drama that happened with me. Uh, I'm not going to go into the weeds of it all, but long story short, another pinball podcast, this flippin' podcast, uh, Taylor over there, just had a little bit of commentary on Christopher Franchi's work. Uh, he basically was saying that Chris is his drawings and his paintings come from other source materials, and he was debating, you know, whether or not that was weird or not. Uh, Chris uh, Franchi sort of told him where to stick it, and here's my take on the whole thing. I think there's a lot of pinball to gripe about. I think there's a lot to be happy about. Christopher Franchi's art is incredible. I've never seen Christopher Franchi make a game where I'm like, yeah, no, that doesn't look very good. So I don't think we need to manufacture drama. I think Christopher Franchi's art style is pretty established. I think people know that a lot of his paintings come from other source materials, but he's he's a very, very talented artist. Could you look at any of that source material and create the kind of art he does? I couldn't. I don't think Taylor could. I don't think anyone uh, who does a pinball podcast has that kind of artistic ability. And dare we, dare we send another artist frustrated in packing so we have to go back to the days of Tron artwork and Lord of the Rings artwork and ACDC artwork. Do you remember how crappy pinball art is? Let's not attack the artist in pinball these days, all right? But the, the devil's advocate in me is we also shouldn't shut down people's ability to have a conversation and talk about some of these observations that they're seeing. And I, I do felt like Taylor did get a little bit like wrongfully, like stridently convicted of just simply having a, a conversation about it. But look, it's such a silly topic. I think everyone would agree that Franchi's art is incredible. He knows it. We know it. Uh, we'll see what happens. You know, it's kind of a shame that Munsters can't be voted on for this year's Twippies because of uh, it came out just like a few weeks after the fact because I think it would have taken the Twippy this year. Now he's got to wait a whole nother year to be eligible uh, because I think it's going to be hard for him to dethrone Yeti with Deadpool and Iron Maiden. And that I think that's unfair. I think he should have had Munsters put in there. Anyway, uh, what else do I want to talk about? The final thing I want to talk about, and we'll get into everything on this on this episode. We'll get into the $65,000 Twilight Zone, and we'll get into Deep Root, and we'll talk about uh, the entire hobby. It's been a long time since the Black Knight joined the show. 
The final thing I want to say is I want to say a very, very special thank you to everybody out there, and you know who you are, who has voted for Canada's Pinball Podcast in this year's Twippy Awards. And you know uh, I've been uh, sharing some photos of me and Bubba and how Bubba would love another Twippy. Uh, and I've been reaching out to some of you just saying, hey, if, if you really can, can take the time, I would really appreciate it. Here we are, 305 episodes, uh, the amount of hours I pump into this show. And all I'm asking for all of you who listen, it just takes about two to three minutes to go to thisweekinpinball.com uh, and vote for uh, your favorite games and hopefully write in your favorite pinball podcast as being Canada's Pinball Podcast. And I'm not going to do what other podcasts do and say the Twippies don't mean shit. And I'm honestly saying that it does mean a lot to me. And the recognition does mean a lot. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, and I hope we've given you some incredible episodes as we lead up to the final days in which you can vote. And that's the other thing. I implore you, when you when, look at the date, the Twippy voting ends this Thursday, right? I think it's this Thursday. It's January 31st is when all the voting closes. So that's it. I know there's like a huge pause between the end of voting and Texas Pinball Festival, but don't think you have that long because you only have a few more days. So please, please, please get your votes in uh, and, and we look forward to seeing what the results are. I think I promised on an earlier episode that I would buy an Oktoberfest if I won the Twippy or I would buy Hilton a new car. Well, I didn't say new car. I said a car. Uh, I've also got some really, really fun stuff planned if we win. Some An amazing image that I can't wait to, to show you guys. I asked Jeff and, um, and Zach if I won, if I could put this image on the big screen behind me when I go up uh, and, and hopefully give my acceptance speech. And they said, absolutely not. You cannot show that image. But I will share that image with you if, if I win the Twippy. You'll just have to wait and see, everyone. All right, let me air this interview. This guy, I think he's one of the smartest guys in the hobby. He's been around a long time. And it's great to have his voice back on Canada's Pinball Podcast. Uh, without further ado, The Black Knight. And I know you want the best guest ever. And that's why I have begged this guy to come back on for months. And he's back, The Black Knight. Night, Chris. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks. I'm just keeping a low profile these days, I guess. I know where you been. What what you been up to in the pinball world? Well, not in the pinball world. I did uh, last last few months. I was doing traveling in Central America and other places around the world. So I kind of took a little break from pinball. I think everybody should if they get kind of burned out. Right? Did you get burned Store out? A few games. Yeah, I did. I. I, I decided I was doing some restoration of a few games, and then I just said I get I had to check out. I just I got too much of it. Everybody gets too much of it at certain points. There right. wasn't a lot going on either. Well, there's been some news, right? And 2019 yeah. is upon us in the pinball world. So we're going to talk about what you think is going to happen next year. But I just want to like get a sense of. You know, we've, it's been a while. It's been a while. And, and, and since we've talked, we've seen the Munsters. We've seen Oktoberfest. We've seen Pirates of the Caribbean. What do you think's happened? Like, what's your take on the pinball world just in the past, like, few months? Like, what's your take? Well, as we move into 2019, we're still what I consider to be overwhelmed with the number of manufacturers that, that are going to survive in the long term. There's just too many continued options for games both new and used, 
in the market, and it's inevitably time for an additional one or two pinball companies to fail. It's just, it's going to happen. Some will stay afloat, but for how long, I cannot gather. Maybe a couple years, maybe less. And and that's kind of the sad part, but that's just the way it works. Is it sad, or is it just, why do we need so many companies? We don't, in my opinion. I think we have a wonderful selection of games across the board. Um, you know, as far as like the things like the remake era, CGC has come a long way. Um, they've, in terms of my initial opinions of what they made with the Medieval Madness game, and then now their latest, you know, availability and release with Monster Bash, it's it's like night and day. It's not just quality control. I mean, it, they've made great strides in development, and I have a lot better faith than I did initially in terms of them providing long-term support for their products. That's just one example. Well, let's let's talk about that. So what do you mean by that? Like, what, what have you seen differently from Medieval Madness to Monster Bash Remake? Well, when I, as I was working as a technician, one of the things I found is that they, were, they had an increasing amount of quality uh, customer service similar to what Stern has provided. And, and especially in identifying problems and documentation of technical issues of their games. And as a result, at least from the standpoint of operators, they've had a lot better success in keeping those games running and identifying faults that would be quickly resolved from the company itself. And that, that's, a, that's a huge bonus in comparison to some other problems which I don't particularly care for with some of the newer Stern Spike games, but that's a separate issue. Okay. Okay, so you, you've, you've turned a page on CGC. Yeah, I have. I think they've come a long way, and I think they have a lot of promise in the future to provide games that people wanted to play from the past to new generations because a lot of people weren't exposed to games even like Monster Bash. It right. was hard to find one that, that worked properly. And now you have the availability that you don't have to pay nine or ten thousand dollars for a fully restored monster bash, and it can go into your house. Same things what happened with Attack from Mars. Right, and and do you, do you consider CGC to now be one of the top two or three contenders? Yes, yeah, so, I mean one, two, three is Stern, uh, Jersey Jack Pinball, probably three, and number two I believe is CGC. Right. Okay. Just in terms of quality, overall quality, performance, and customer service, those are the top three right off the top. I mean, just off the head of my head. Doesn't right. mean any right. of the other companies are necessarily bad, but they're not as well developed. Right. What are your thoughts on Spike System? Well, the biggest problem, and I, I got involved, and it was the other thing I got involved with a post in recently, and I have done so since 2013, is that it people were complaining a lot about the fact that, you know, we're sitting six years after this system has been developed. I mean, originally, you know, it was developed as a part of a, a replacement potential uh, technology in terms of their development, their home pens, you know, the transformers and such matter back in 2010 is when it actually started to be developed. But starting from 2013 and moving forward, particularly as you got to the first Spike 1 games that worked into the commercial uh, line, which, of course, was uh, the wrestling WWE game, is that there haven't been a lot of 
well-documented understandings of how the node boards work, uh, the corrections that can be made, and it, and it and from an operator standpoint, not just a home user, it's it still remains a mystery even to this day. And it's not just because this is uh, surface-mounted technology with multi-layered boards and and lack of schematics. I mean, these boards in some cases are so dense, Chris, that you cannot repair them at all. Right. They are absolutely disposable technology. And if you look a little bit further in the past, when it comes to pinball technology, there's what I call the concepts of uh, reliability, serviceability, and durability of pinball. And when you don't have that capability to be able to properly repair boards, then you're looking at a 250-pound paperweight very right. quickly. If And you've experienced it yourself. <laughs> but one of the biggest problems that we see in, in, the, in the short term is that unlike games of the past where technology, of course, moved on and, and advancements were made by Bally and Williams and Gottlieb and the rest of the companies, is that, you know, most of these were still supported 10 years or so or more after the games had been introduced you know, to be supported. And that's not the case with a lot of the games. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to just straight up tell you, I mean, there are boards that are unavailable starting from no, or NLA that are starting from any game before Ghostbusters that are simply no longer manufactured and they are not available from distributors. That, and so that means if you're going to okay, so what you're, up, it's up. what you're saying is if you have a, a, a spike board before Ghostbusters and it's broken, you're unless shit out of luck? And le- unless it's it's backwards compatible with either a game that's forward or backwards, which there is some cases where that applies. But you have to know the boards very specifically. And, and in some cases, the boards are repairable. I'm not stating that all these boards are unrepairable. But when you've got boards that the cost of replacements vary between $150 and $1,000 each. That's a lot of money for a game. Is there really for, a board that costs $1,000? Yeah, the CPU boards. And that's in the back box. Correct. That's not the node boards. That's the main CPU. Okay. And there's, and there's only limited numbers of CPU ones that are from the Spike ones that are already available. They're becoming scarce. So do you recommend for someone who has... A game that they want to keep forever, right? If you if you have a game that is like this game's bolted to my floor, mm-hmm. and it's a stern game, and it's running on a spike system that owners sort of buy as many node boards, and should they have backups just just in case? Well, I mean, everybody would love to have backups, but you know, I mean, that's a hard pill to swallow. I right, mean, but is it but is it even... peace of mind though, right? Because to your point. Well, what, what matters more? Be, they, the difference between the games that Stern's making today and the games that Stern made 10 or 15 years ago is a lot of these spike games are planned obsolescence. Stern doesn't want to be competing against their own games with, with what happened during the White Star and the Sam period. Because what do, what that do you mean by that? Don't, that means they don't sell as many new games. So th- are you saying they're, they're that they, they, they literally want games. these games to one day self-destruct? Not necessarily self-destruct, but become early obsolescence. 
what does that mean? Campus. What do you what what does that mean though? Like, is this like a cell it's, phone where you can't take the battery repaired. out? It means not easily repaired. Okay. And it means so, that either either you you have to have, and this is one of the things that really irks you know my chain or pulls my chain, is that unlike Bally and Williams, when they introduced a new operating system or board set, they provided technical training classes to operators and education as far as to, to be able to repair and understand the systems, not just the repair, but also the diagnostics. This has not been done with the spike system, and then we're sitting at six years later since it was been formally introduced. And that's that's never happened in the pinball industry of the past. Now, people will try to compare this to a throwaway television set or phone or whatever. But if like, for example, and I don't want to use car arguments, but any large expenditure cost, if you buy that item to say it's unrepairable is a problem. And it needs to, people just need to recognize. And I, and I know a lot of collectors realize it's a problem, but we have a lot of newer people that got into the hobby and aren't aware necessarily of the changes of hardware. That's all. But Chris, I mean, when you say you think a lot of people are aware, I would say that I think most collectors are unaware that they might be sitting on a game that's unrepairable in the future. Well, I think they're going to figure it out pretty quick. Which which games, games like, right now do you think are unrepairable? Like, well, we've got board shortages for WWE. Well, no, but 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 maybe. That's a blessing Kiss. in disguise. Nobody Kiss. likes that game. But what else? Kiss. Kiss. All right. Game of Thrones. Okay. Okay. I would guess, although I I didn't verify this, is Woe Nelly, because it had a low production value on a number. Um. These all and, sound like games Stern might wish never existed in the first place. Well, I, I don't know. I can't, <laughs> I can't speak for Stern. I mean, I don't do that. This could but, have been a strategy all along by Jody. Let's I make mean, a really bad Game of Thrones that is irreparable. Well, I mean, Ghostbusters sold really well, so there were a larger set. I mean, the, the more games that you sell, the more spare parts uh, you have available. And there used to be an old policy from Stern in the 2000s or so that they would keep spare parts for game for up to five years, or which point that they would run out depending on the production level. Bally Williams had a much longer period than Stern did. And it's understandable, too, from Stern's standpoint, because they're not producing the same volumes of games that Bally Williams did in, in the 90s. So, but anybody that believes that, and I'm not saying they're sitting on a ticking time bomb. I think I think that would describe the fact that these boards are completely unreliable, which is not true, but the failure rates are rising and they are there. If people don't want to admit it, that's fine. Go talk to an operator and various operators. A lot of them just, you know, there's a lot of reasons they don't want to route pinball. But the spike system is a problem for some operators unless you, you know, have large routes. Because they cannot keep them running if they go down. We're talking, you know, losses of hundreds of dollars of income every week if the game doesn't work. Right, right, and that and that could be equal to the replacement of one board, which is a pretty high cost. 
Okay, so so people should be cautious in buying Absolutely. Spike System. I think it's undercooked, personally. I think it's an undercooked mess that diagnostics are not well understood, and it is still subject to voltage regulational issues and shorts, and I, I don't recommend it, but that's me. That's my opinion. I, I know some people may hate me for it, but that's my opinion. Okay. It, it, with with all the new games out there, wh which is the most bulletproof, which is the most serviceable in the future? Well, one of the advantages that I can share is when Jersey Jack did his boards, even though he had some terrible problems with his developments early on with Waz, is that he took a step back and at the request of owners and operators, he documented the technical schematics and specifications for his boards. And partly the technology that he was using made it much more repairable. You know, American Pinball for Houdini, they used some uh, P-Rock stuff that was pretty good. Spooky has some redundancy. Um, probably their, their stuff is most definitely repairable. Um, I'm not sure I could put my finger on any particular company that would be better than anybody else's maybe spooky i guess because of his redundancy right in the systems but i mean that's that's kind of, i mean i i would literally have to do a side-by-side -side sit down of every single type of system because there's some of this um some of the parts of the electronics that are being used are kind of like a, a cornucopia where they actually have taken different parts from different types of systems and put it together and then in some cases they've literally you know done things specialized just for their games not just it's not taking just stuff off the shelf right that's what i'm trying to say it's not like everybody's sticking a raspberry pie in a pinball machine. right chris do you think for the most part the majority of people who buy these new inbox games just assume they're going to last forever i think some people believe that they're more resilient in terms of their uh you know, they're thinking more on the standpoint of, of like a car or something that would be much more robust and reliable when in reality is they're very uh, easily susceptible to things like changes in voltage or vibrational problems because it is a mechanical device. Right. And, and when you put that steel ball in that game, rolling around that wood play field and hitting these type of parts, you know, things happen. You know, every time you, you flip that switch on that power switch, it might work, it might not work. And that's one of the problems that happens with Stern Spike games is if, if you know, they've had problems just doing updates where node boards have been fried when they updated the firmware or the software. Literally, they fried boards. Why does that happen? I've seen that. I've seen people post that. Well... The only thing I can guess is there's some type of incompatibility between the software and the way it's being generated with the plus 48 voltage. But I, I don't, I, unfortunately, I don't have the schematics in front of me, so I, it's hard for me to analyze because every single game is unique. Right. And I, and I had that happen to me once with my Batman. I, I, I booted it up, and it just said node board 8 failure. And I had no solution yeah, other I, than to get... A new no board. Right. And that's the point is nobody ever, they, in your case, nobody di ever did diagnose what the problem was. They just did a swap of tronics. 
Right. And I know Stern has sent out a node board sort of fix kit, which is sort of weird because it's there's something well, about like the I don't I don't even know like the Are you talking about the one for the CPU? It, it really is no, this the is the CPU one on the control? node boards where it's really I got to be honest. This is like the you're most not talking he- about with the with the the zip tie. Thing, yeah, the was ghetto the fix transist- ever. Like you're, yeah, you're but that zip- was just that was just to try to keep uh, one transistor from touching a ground point, which then would cause a short. That that's what that was, and it was due to partially due to vibration, if I remember correctly, because right. it was down by the trough. But think about how ghetto that fix is. You're zip tying. Well. A plastic piece. You, you. I mean, it, but it, it was like Williams did that too. I, I'm gonna get. They're well, not perfect. It, <laughs> look, you could homeboy fix it by Williams and by Stern. But I remember when I got that fix, I was like, this, this is really the solve. Well, once again, I, 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 I caution people that are on the new inbox track, or those that are buying games used or spiked to be aware that the older that these games we're already in the spike too. the systems are changing the more spike when the, the I don't remember I want to say I, I, I don't want to make a mistake without looking it up what the last spike one CPU board as they continued to make additional changes to the technology but we're still now we're six years later we've changed the system dramatically already and we still don't have schematics Right. I mean, that is not a good own, in my opinion. But right. once again, I'm just I'm expressing an opinion. Well, and it, it seems that I would say, Chris, that the majority of people who are buying all these new games, right? I, I think their knowledge and their understanding of the actual node boards and CPUs and and future serviceability is is none is zilch. Like it doesn't matter. Like they're they're buying on theme, on artwork, on emotional. Like, would you agree? Yeah, for the most part, because there there's a it's a genera. I mean, generational change from the standpoint of who collects, why do they collect? You well, know, but we're also not, we're not seeing anyone post. I bought a game from Stern and it's forever broken. Like that that's never been posted ever. Well, for right now, it's not a critical issue if you've got a spike because we're still in the infancy of the system. We're not but, 10 but, years But if in. anyone survives, though, like if any company keeps trucking in pinball, won't it be stern? Yeah, of course it will. And I think that ultimately what will happen is if there is an outcry because of the, the extreme cost of some of these replacement boards, then somebody will eventually step forward as a third party and make replacements. Do you think it would be a third party, though? you think Stern would really leave some I of their want past customers in, you know, with a broken I would, Stern? I would want to because that's the, they're making buku bucks. No, but, but, but 500, or 500% markup. Yeah, but Chris, you, they're not making like it's not like Apple where they're making phones that they know or will one day be completely obsolete. Do you really think Stern is designed games for obsolescence for future yeah. sales? Yep. Really? Yes, yep, because their 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 methodology in regards to what they used to do up to two thousand ten changed. So you think that Stern is is designing games that in the future. Will just be a two hundred fifty pound paperweight that's is that someone's just gonna have to like throw away and go get a new one. I don't think they're gonna care. 
I mean, when with the next, when the next, I mean, I'm, I know these are, these are terrible remarks because people might get a little, you know, apprehensive, but when, when the next decline of, you know, our economy comes and they have to, Stern has to consolidate what they decide to build, they aren't going to be able to support them anyway. These games are going to be forgot about. I mean, who, who goes to, I mean, I, I made the comment once. I mean, if somebody goes to Stern right now and says, I need parts for a big, big buck bunner from 2005, <laughs> the chances are they're going to say, you're a shit out of luck. And I realized that was, you know, a little longer as far as time is concerned, but it won't take that long for us to reach the first decade of spike games. Right. And then we're going to be looking at some of these earliest spike games and, and, Unlike the Sam and the White Star boards that have a lot more um, through-hole technology, these just don't. Okay, so in summary, Stern's new system is unproven. The future yes. reliability of them is unproven. Correct. People who are buying these machines in droves might have a short-term elation, but a long-term frustration in getting them fixed. They might not care, though, because a lot of people, they buy them for various reasons that are different from the previous collectors of old. But what does that mean? It, it, that means they, they don't play them. They sit in the right. corner, and they and they look at them, and they say, ooh. So I mean, that's an interesting that point. Because... because wear and tear is, is reduced, and when you reduce the wear and tear on components that means the longevity of a system is expanded right and, and that's a good point because do you think stern is now designing games for the home collector with the anticipation that this game won't be played a thousand times in some cases i think they're expecting that the game will survive for 10 to 15 years and maybe even 20 is a home environment game and then they won't care because, you know, it's only $9,000 to, you know, a person that has a lot of money anyway, which isn't much. Right. I mean, let's be serious, guys. I mean, who buys these games? It's not, it's not, the, it's not the pinball players for the tournaments that are in their 20s. <laughs> okay, mean, they so. That I mean, I've got, so, I've got a couple friends that just, they, they buy new in-box games and they're still sitting in boxes in a row. Right, so. I mean. I, I see that a lot. I mean, we look. We see people buying new new in box. We see people buying games, selling them with less than hundred plays. Right, which the, means they never get played. <laughs> right. Yeah. I would say. I would also say the majority of collectors don't want to lift play fields. They don't know how to solder. They they're not in this hobby to fix games. They they are in it to have fun and they're yeah, in it and to have a fine. toy. So let's talk about a game that is out there that I know you know about a $65,000 Twilight Zone. <laughs> like, oh my. So Chris, like, okay. like how could a prototype of Twilight Zone, which I know you know a lot about, what, what are your thoughts on that? $65,000. Okay. okay. All right. Any, anybody, it, I mean, from the stand, I mean, I, Obviously, I posted quite a few times. I couldn't help it because I thought that I thought the thread was funny as hell. I mean, I, I I knew it wasn't necessarily a joke because 
you know, once he put up pictures and, and he was answering questions, but, you know, Ted Estes came on and started talking about the games. And I'm and I bless that he did because I'm so glad that he I wish Pat would go on there too, but he probably won't. The the biggest problem is is I know a lot about the understanding of the pinball market and the used market. You know, understanding the difference between a prototype of a production game and say a prototype of a game that wasn't built. Okay? Mm-hmm. And the, some of these games can command extremely high values. They can't. There are games of the coin-operated market, which I'm not going to get into here, that went for private sales in excess of $65,000, but they were. that's also accounting for certain inflation aspects of the past and other special can you, can you name a title? Just Because I'm just curious, like, like King I'm not, Kong. I'm not going to go into this because it was private sales and it's. Yeah, but, I mean, but, but, I but you don't have to name the people. But like, what's the game? I'm not. I'm not going to go into. Oh it on this my show. god, King Kong. I, I, I mean, it's, Kingpin. It, I mean, it's because it, it might cause a whole bunch of flurry and people start asking all sorts of questions. And it, this is where it got. I tried like when I was talking to about it on this thread. I was kind of. I'm not pointing a finger at the guy saying, "Are you freaking crazy?" You know, like a lot of other people said, you know, making jokes at the $65,000 price tag. My point is, is if anybody thinks that this game is worth $65,000, then there, they, there should be an ironclad proof that this game was the first Twilight Zone that was ever built. And I already knew without saying anything that it wasn't. How'd you know that? Because of the serial number. What's... What would the first one's serial number be? Most likely the X9700, whatever. I mean, it was like, I forget what it was. It was one. Ted Estes' game is one prior to that one. Do you think that even matters? Does it even add value? I honestly, I honestly don't. Well, see, here's the thing. There's, there's, there's prototypes and there's prototypes. Like in the case of Twilight Zone, according to Ted, they had two prototypes that were built off the Whitewoods which then were built into another additional 12 to 15 prototypes, which then some of them became samples eventually. I mean, you have to understand the different terminology of games. You know, the difference between, say, for example, what is the difference between a prototype, a sample, and an early production? Because they're not the same thing. They're not. Right. Okay. And as far as the features that are concerned with this particular game, it's just another early. Pro- it, it certainly is an early prototype, no doubt about it. Right. It's okay? got it's got the what, two what magnets in the in so the right far. orbit area. Yeah. It it, it seems to with, add with, up with okay? terrible playfield wear. I I would as look at the well, photos. I'm like, for sixty five grand. Yeah. I want this thing, well, to... and, and that's but that's not a that's not really atypical of a game of that era because these games were sold to, to Bally Williams employees after they had been tested or placed on test runs, and and so Chris, you know they're not going to be in let, perfect. Let me ask you a condition. question because you said you were you were witness to another game around this price. How no, I pim- wasn't witness to this game when I said I meant coin. Coin operated equipment. Okay. Okay. Well, it isn't a it isn't a pinball machine. That do you think pinball any pinball machine? Private sales over fifty thousand. Do you think there's any pinball machine worth sixty five thousand? Not at present time. 
What, what does that mean? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I think we need a few more years of inflation before it gets okay. that what, point. Okay. Because in, is, in your opinion, and you know pinball very well, what do you think is the most valuable pinball machine on planet Earth right now? Wow, that's a tough one. Well, come on. You know everything. Well, I don't know everything. I, I would say that it, the, the problem is, is that all the, when you have a rumor, for example, like with Capcom Kingpin, as soon as the rumor came about or pictures came out that there is a potential the, for the, the remake happening. The so do you think that knocks the Kingpins from the top? It does. Of Unfortunately, course. it just so does. I what's, mean, it, what's next? The King Kongs? King Kongs are up around. Well, I mean, the problem is, is there's not enough pricing data. I can only estimate what I what I know. Okay, I mean things like the last King Kong were sold for over thirty thousand dollars. The the Loch Ness monster from Game Plant went for over thirty thousand uh, dollars. You had Capcom Kingpins that sold for close to fifty thousand um, dollars. Those guys, man, those those guys who bought Kingpin for fifty grand are going to be hurting real bad real soon. I mean, you had Medieval Madness remake or uh, sorry prototypes that that went for twenty twenty five thousand. You have the original Capcom Big Bang Bar prototypes that set it between twenty five and thirty thousand dollars. I mean, most of these prototype games that weren't made or sit around somewhere between twenty and thirty thousand dollars, but as soon as you get to a game like Twilight Zone prototypes, because there are so many more of the game available and it's a produced game, the value is much lower. Absolutely. There's only, what, there's only like eight King Kongs in total existence, right? Yeah, right, and correct. With Twilight Zone, if you want to get the Twilight and, and, Zone. And they're unique. And like, that's the thing. I right, think, each one's I think different. Chris Hutchinson said it best is that each one of those, yes, he did restorations of three of the eight games, as he mentioned in that thread, each one of those games was unique. Right. Which is the reason why people, part of the reason why they want these prototype-type games, if they're unique. I would argue that, and and I'm just going to say this, the prototypes of games that went into mass production where the final version actually improved upon the prototype... in most in most cases. In most cases, but it, I just not always. I mean you have you have examples like I provided on the thread with uh, uh you know, I'll give you an, like Matahari, because people didn't want to state and said, Look, there's no way that a that a prototype game can be worth four or five thousand four or five times the value of a production game. Right. And I said, Okay, well, guess what? Here I'll get you one right off the bat. Matahari that had over 16,000 games made of the solid state version had 170 of the EM made. And, and the average value going value of a Matahari solid state is around a thousand bucks. The original, the average price of value of a EM Matahari is $5,000, you know, equitable condition, the same, give or take. I mean, they could be less, they could be more, whatever. But, the point I'm trying to make is people would say, well, that's a prototype. And the answer is, well, it's no, it's not. It's actually the same game, but it's just using a different operating system, i.e. an EM electromechanical. But it does happen, and these prices just, they they can be very high right. in terms of multiples. All right, but so do you think this guy all. asking $65,000 is just smoking crack? At, well, in my opinion, absolutely. Right, no one's going to pay it. Nobody, no, I let mean... Me, Chris, let no me ask way. you about the the most recent high 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 price tagged games. Twenty one thousand five hundred dollars for 
the big Lebowski from Dutch, would you would you even go in on that game knowing all you know about serviceability, future parts, all that? Not presently because I, I like to keep my games working. Okay. So that's 21500 People are trying now, to sell. Now, if I didn't care about money, I don't think it would make a difference to a – you have to remember, if, if I was a, a billionaire, I, I wouldn't give a shit. If I liked pinball and I was a billionaire, I'd buy that game for $21,000 in a heartbeat because I wouldn't give a shit. Right. but I wouldn't but, give a shit. But like – all right. But, but under that – through that lens, then nothing really matters, right? Well, I mean – does it? I guess I mean, so. I mean, there's I've never no consequences position, if you've so. got a thousand million just to blow. Okay, so let me ask you about twenty five thousand dollars for a Wrath of Olympus. That seems a bit high too. Because a bit the problem, or a lot high. Okay, we're probably looking at about ten to fifteen thousand dollars high. But why? But, but yeah. Okay, but the game was six thousand, like sixty five hundred, like, and then nobody wanted it. It was a different time. People were people. It's just like it's. We could go all the way back, like when we discussed about Big Bang Bar, and nobody wanted to buy it. So for let's 4, talk about that because someone. The other game I was going to ask you is people are trying to sell their Big Bang Bars now for like eighteen thousand, and we know that they Chicago are because they know there's a potential for the remake there, to be coming not, out. They're going to get fucked. <laughs> but it's not that, that there's a potential. Chicago Gaming already officially said they're going to remake it at some point. I don't know when it's where it is in the pecking order, but I mean. It'd but, be nice. I might even buy one. I, I actually thought about buying one based on the conditions do, of do you like Do you like remakes? I don't hate them. But like, like as, a, as someone who like now. studies the hobby, right? And, and I, you know, there's something fun when there's grail games. When there's these they rare... have a place. Remakes have a place in pinball if if no other reason than to expose people that have not been able to play them to play them on location, for example, or in their house. I don't have a problem with it. Once again, there will always be collectors that will want the original games, though. But that's a good point, because remaking Monster Bash or Medieval Madness is one thing, but remaking a highly collectible grail game like a King Kong or a Kingpin, it completely destroys the rarity. Of course it does. Of that. I don't control that. So. Right, but but do you, I mean, but do you as a as a, just as I'm just asking you like a general question as a fan of the hobby, do you do you wish that we could maintain some of these white whale games that are the holy grails of collectors, or should we just? Yes, I there there wish there would be a bit of sanctity in in regards to the hobby instead of the you know cashing up, you know the 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 cash cow ship of pinball that has occurred in the last 10 to 15 years i mean i i i remember that i mean some of this has happened before last iteration occurred in the early 2000s when you had some of the cookie cutter games like you know scared stiff and fathom but you know or they all of a sudden just magically jumped in value by you know 400 percent than what they were before so you know it I, I, I don't control it. All I know is that yeah, I can only enjoy... I, I've been priced out of certain games, but I'm not particularly worried about like not being able to afford a Jersey Jack Collector's Edition or, right. or Stern right. Limited Edition because I don't want those games anyway. Um, so, so something recently that we exposed on this show was the actual cost to Stern to make a machine. And we yep. got we got this a little eye opening, wasn't it? Wasn't it? And we got this from yeah, Nick Parks, it was, it, and then all of a sudden Stern reached out to Nick and made me delete 
that tidbit, but I can't yeah, forget what I heard. Yeah, slapping his peepee, right? right? Because, because I mean, I, I tried to explain that these costs to other people, they weren't like $5,000 or some absurd amount because they, otherwise they don't make any money. What do you think a stern Ellie actually cost them to make? I think, it, I mean, from looking at the bomb, and remember, this does depend on license of particular titles and the amount of materials of, of features that are provided inside a specific game. So it, it will vary a little bit, but you're looking at between thirty-five, a little less of $3,500 to $4,000 or less. The pro is cheaper for each game. And then everything, and, you know, I, the markups to the distributor, you know, 500 bucks or so, 250 in some cases, and the rest is profit. So Stern is almost more than doubling what Absolutely. it costs them to make in L.A. Absolutely. Now, do you, but, now okay, but, what do you think Jersey Jack's bomb is? Because when you look at Pirates well, of the Caribbean L.A. next to Stern L.A., it, there's no way. Ouch. Yeah, it, it, the bomb, the bomb, I... The problem with Jersey Jack is that, you know, he's he doesn't have the same robustness in terms of parts manufacturing that Stern has, so he's going to have that higher overhead. Right. So, um, if you've got a game, and I don't, I don't even know what the pro equivalency of his games are going for these days, because the prices keep jumping all over the place. He doesn't even he doesn't have a pro though. He doesn't like strip out standard edition, whatever you want to call it. I, I, the problem is it keeps jumping around. And, and then of course it goes up $500 every fiscal year you know, with every company because uh, they can, I would say somewhere closer to probably you know, $4,500 to $5,000 for a fully featured game. But, right. and, and, and then, you know, the markup, but you know, I, I mean, he's definitely banking for a collector's edition at say twelve thousand five hundred, right? But how many games is he actually selling in comparison to Stern? Not, Not as much, many. and and Jack's and never quite figured it out. Like he's got his yeah. limited, he's got his collectors, he's he's well, he, he doesn't have a pro his own audience. I mean, when you confuse your own audience, when you can't figure out the difference, real the reality of what you're getting for buying a certain particular title, I mean. It's like I said, I, I mentioned earlier, you, you wanted to know predictions. Ask the prediction questions because I think P3 is on a fast track to hell if they don't do something quick. I think Multimorphic may be the next one to go. That's a prediction. I'm not Ted. I'll tell you the way I think. Yeah. So, okay. So P3. What, I mean, do you think they're going to be one of the, I mean, one of the casualties of 2019? Possibly. He's one of them. He doesn't have the sales numbers to support continued operations. But 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 Jerry's been in it for like six, seven years. Like at, yeah, at this point. Meter along, but is he really doing anything? I mean, is he really producing magic to, to enhance his future as a company? Or is he kind of stagnating like Dutch Pinball did with their latest, right. you know, poo-poo article of the results of ARA and their so, progress in the so Netherlands. We, so look, I mean, we've been honest on this show about P3 and they haven't sold even a hundred games in seven years. W which companies do you think are, are in hot water, Chris, in, in 2019? Well, Jersey Jack pinball still is in hot water because unless his pirates of the Caribbean sells well, 
and his billionaire investor doesn't get tired of him, he's still back in the red again. Okay, he so he's always of, he in hot water. He hasn't turned significant profits since any of his games, ever. He's had the most most remarkable would be Waz, because it was, of course, available for the longest, but all his titles were not necessarily remarkable, remarkable sales uh, achievements. So, you know, he continues to remain in the red. He doesn't achieve and make a lot of profit based on his game so far. He's got this latest game coming out. The sales haven't been necessarily stellar. Okay, he doesn't have anything far enough advanced to be able to be released in terms of and, and be in production in 2019 that I've seen. Right. Okay, so Jersey so Jack is he's always... relying on Pirates of the Caribbean to sell well. They're they're always in jeopardy of, of the the guy could wake up one day and say let's let's pull the plug. What about American Pinball? American Pinball, I think they need a different game. But but it, and that's because the whole Oktoberfest thing. I'm not. I, I don't want to get on the on the Canada jump wagon with the whole theme thing with Oktoberfest. But you know, and because I'm aware, I'm I I listen, I read, I figure out what's going on. But I honestly think that 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 they're one game away from potential failure just because and it's it's you know their sales for houdini didn't go quite as well as they wanted them to and so they have to make up for some of it in oktoberfest which i don't think is going to be that great right i think they're i think they're going to sell sub 1000 practically perhaps sub 500 uh, and that's not going to bode well to maintain a company and keep it going Right. So once again, they're they're at risk. You see what I was talking about when I said at the beginning. I mean, you've got these companies that are lingering at the precipice of a cliff. How long can they go on? But I mean, I I always wonder that, Chris. And then I I watch these companies who seemingly are financed either by personal investment or by sheer pride and I can't for the life of me determine how they're actually making money. Well, they're necessarily not, but you already we knew how to discover that to be in a lot of cases a lot of the guys like when we talked about Highway Pinball, they had been hemorrhaging money for years. Right. So, so if you look Dutch at the pinball, pinball landscape, been hemorrhaging money for years too. If you look at the pinball landscape and th- and this is the part that people don't want to they don't want to like realize this. Jersey Jack Pinball is still probably millions of dollars in the red from when they began. It's not probably, he definitely is. He doesn't have enough sales to back up the investments right. of what he did for his for his development costs. When, when I went over to his factory, Jack's like, "I've got millions of dollars in parts," and He's I'm got millions I'm, of dollars in assets, right? Parts, perhaps, but that doesn't mean he has millions of dollars of sales. No, no, but no, but that's what I was saying. I was like, well, "I'm I'm in his factory." And he's like, "Chris, there's four million dollars in parts." And, and I'm like, well, but why are, why are there millions of dollars in parts in this factory? Why aren't they in games being built? You know what I'm saying? It's like, that doesn't seem smart. Cause there's to have... no, cause there's no interest in, if you, if you don't have an order for the game, you're not going to build it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, of course they're going to sit there. I mean, I mean, that, that's why, that's why, you know, Stern does a better job at, at kind of moderating. They, I mean, they've they've had some bombs, but moderating what they anticipate with their fluid production line. You know, the on and off and how many parts they're going to keep on hand. 
You know, what kind of back stock are they going to have? I mean, you got, I'm not going to not give Stern credit from the standpoint of being uh, market and industrial leaders when it comes to pinball because they have all that experience. Of course they do. Right. Okay, so Stern is fine. Jersey Jack is yeah. always one day away from collapsing because the billionaire investor decides it's a no-go. Uh, you know, American Pinball seemingly is financed by Davol and Nermals. Like, I think their dad has, like, the company that – or the chip-making company. Like, I, I don't know what their – I don't know what their deal is. Think I don't of, know. Think of them as a private – the same as – as Jersey Jack is a private investor, but it has family ties. That's all. Right. Just, and just Jerry, look at it that way. Same thing with Jerry. His family invested in P3. I, I can't imagine what those family meals are like when they're like, where's our return on this? Um, watching Total Nuclear Annihilation sell 550 units, and they haven't sold 100 P3s yet. Um, spooky, razor-thin margins on the, in that company. They definitely have been ice skating lately. Razor thin. And it's, it's but but you know, he's in Benton, Wisconsin. He's got really cheap overhead. I, I think he's his like monthly rent is like a dollar, he said once. Um He's so, got the support of the community coupled with everything else of the, the, the small town mentality and the aspects. That'll keep him going for a while until you know, the the pinball, you know, revival he goes bust with the next economy and things slow down and then he's going to have to see, he's going to have to reevaluate you know it that is when you see rubber reeds row and i'm not here to talk about a bubble again because i already see that the 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 signs of a continued recession and the development because you know this is all you know we're talking about first world problems here with pinball <laughs> Yeah, I can't, you know, with all the things going on, you know, the 99 things going on in the world out of 100, the pinball is not one of them. You right. know? It's just amazing with all the people in the world that are having problems and we worry about buying new in-box games. It's pretty, it makes you humble, doesn't it? I mean, this is like 0.00001% of society oh, like, yeah. understands any of this. Like, I, 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 oh, yeah. I, I go out and nobody can relate to any of this. I mean, as Ben Heck said, the majority of Americans can't even pay a five hundred dollar. That is a big point. Debt that they owe, but that that is a scary thing when you think that. Now, the actual number I read was forty percent of all Americans cannot afford an emergency debt of more than five hundred dollars. Right in a in a single month, and that is really scary. And of course, we're not here to get political, but we all know what we're thinking about based right. on what's right. been going on with our U.S. government. Right. So, but that yeah. being said, okay. So, like, I I think an overarching theme on this show, Chris, has been there's a lot of pinball. We're, we're supposedly supposed to celebrate this as the golden era, the rebirth of pinball. And I've sort of said over and over again, I don't think most of these games are great. Like, I don't really, I cool, I get it. There's a lot of companies, but I don't really see a lot of magic. And I still feel that. I see that. a lot of repeating. I see a lot of rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Hey, let's make sure we get deep code to support those tournament players. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. I mean, there ha I just, I just have, and that's what has kind of disenfranchised me 
because I've got a lot of people that say, oh, but the new games are so great. I says, well, no, it's, you know, it reminds me of this or it reminds me of that or it has this feature. You know, innovation is, is, is hard, but it's not impossible. Right. There, but, there are people out there. I mean, the only thing I could say for good hope that we haven't talked about is what's going to happen with Deep Group. Are they going to sink or are they going to swim? Yeah, let's talk about it. All right, let's talk about it. It's like good mythical morning, right? I mean, let's I, I got. I got. Can I? Before we talk about this, can I tell you what I heard this week? Sure. Someone sent me a cryptic note and said, "I saw Magic Girl. You're gonna really want it." Boom. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. But Chris, go on. Uh, I, I've heard that about a lot of stuff. But cool, cool, cool. Yeah. The greatest pinball machine is the one you've never seen. Well. You say so. I I've seen a lot. <laughs> but that's how so. it is in this hobby, right? We're always like the 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 the, the thing that's around the corner is always going to be the one we've been waiting for. Yeah. Once you stop buying into hype, you're a better and happier person. That's what you're... I've stopped buying into the hype. I'm much happier. I am very happy for you on that, Chris. Congratulations. Thank you. Okay. So deep root. What are your thoughts? Well, we all know that they, obviously they weren't going to come to TPF, and that's unfortunate. Um, I hope that they have their ducks in a row. And based on what they say, and they're able to do a at least experimental prototype, you know, can showings I, of something. Can I explain another reason why they're not going to be there? Because I, I, I had like a cryptic like reason why they're not going to be there. Okay. Someone very high up in the organization is in love and okay, so they going got a to wed, going okay. to wed during that time period. So that is why they will not be there. Okay. Well, I mean, that that's their prerogative. I mean, yeah, no, they, lo- they, love they, supersedes. They're, re- they're retaining. Yeah. Love I mean, supersedes they retain pinball. Some big names. But okay. So what, go on. Well, my biggest, my biggest concern is, okay, they're not going to be a TPF. No problem. I already said in, from my standpoint, when we talked the last time specifically about it was that the year of 2019 is, you know, show me, you know, show me what you got. You know, they made such bold claims early on. If they don't show something, at least, uh, you know, even if it's a, you know, tantalizing tidbit of of a game or games in their potential, you know, Stockholm inventory of the future, then, in my opinion, they've already deflated their company somewhat because people are going to say, yep, it didn't come true. Here we go again. You know, more false promises. Right. And they have, I mean, they've retained some great experienced people in the pinball, electronics, audiovisual, technology world, period. So time to shut up and show me what you got. And if they don't want to show it at TPF and they want to wait until, I don't know, the old Chicago Pinball Expo, fine. But if they let 2019 come and go and don't show a damn thing, they're not doing a very good service to themselves. Right. As they, a company. They they've they taken... made promises that they said they could that they that they didn't keep. Right. Well, look, they the real date for these guys okay. um is thing. is June. Because June is when they are contractually obligated to get the Zidware customers a game. That, that that is in the deal they signed with Zidware customers. So that is that is really the make or break date. TPF was was a nice to have um, but 
you know, we will know by June. Uh, here's here's my take. I don't I've think they're going to make it, Chris. I think they're going to be late. For June? Here's my prediction. Yep. But but all they have to do in June is – well, again, let's let's. Did back. they say they were going to ship in June or did they say they were going to reveal in June? I think they just need to show – I think they need to ship. I can't ship. remember. They need to ship, I think. It said I can't ship. remember what they said in their in their in their okay. prophecies. But I guess the other part is this: there aren't that many Zidware people who took the agreement. So we might be talking maybe fifty people, probably less. I would say like Not, twenty. Yeah, there wasn't that many. I would say like twenty people actually are in on this. So the deal is that these people will be made whole by that date or there is you know there or deep root is in void of contract with with these individuals and and but then then you think about it like well then what are these individuals supposed to actually do because are they supposed to sue deep root for it's 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 messy it's it's silly nothing will happen other than the fact that zidware you know customers will be burned again yeah more first world problems as i call it um, so here's 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 what I think is going to happen. I I don't know much. I know that Deepert has a lot of people working there. There's no money coming in. There is investor dollars paying all these people. I, I like I said, it's either Chris, it's either going to be like the greatest home run or the biggest whiff in the history of hype when it comes to new pinball companies. Yeah, I, I don't the think there's like a middle coming ground here. down the plate soon enough. Yeah, I mean, like, I all I know is this. I think Robert is well aware of all of that. And I, I just can't imagine this being another, like, highway, another Dutch pinball. I, I, It's just, it's not. Well, it's not structured the same because he didn't, I mean, he has the developmental investor dollars to back the company, and he has the talent involved in it. I mean, they're they're structured as a company much more safely than Dutch Pinball ever was. Dutch is done. Highway is done. Deep Root is they can't be done because they haven't even begun. Uh, it's going to be an interesting 2019. I I I mean, part of me is here's my if I were to be honest with you, Chris, I look at all of this hobby right now and I see these people spending nine thousand dollars for games they've never played and I'm almost like if I was a pinball manufacturer, what would motivate me is more the stupidity of the buyer versus the desire to make a great game well, I can share one thing that you didn't haven't discussed before, which I think is you think and people should think about this. There's a lot of desensitization, desensitization in regards to pricing these days. You know, where remember, you know, up to a few years ago, you made the joke with Ben. It's like it seems like it was a million mile, you know, million years ago that you were discussing some of it. But you know, nine thousand dollars five years ago would have been thought to be absurd. It is absurd. Now, it, it is absurd today, but nobody yeah, but thinks for that. People, it's much more accepted now. People are like, "Oh, but we're getting this LE, and it's it, it's it." There's a desensitization of of what is acceptable, and it it's like what I described before. You know, as Stern has continued to remove either features or hardware or quality control issues, or you know, it, it it's it's accepted. 
you know, people say, well, that's just the way it is. Well, no, it's not the way it used to be. You know what made me so sad is that the number one question people had around the Munsters was whether or not Stern just put in like a $10 metal cabinet bracket in the game because they took those out. And and we're at the point now where like everything that should have been in there is now applauded for being returned to the game. And these are cheap parts. Well, it's because people weren't aware that, that before that was a standard. Well, and, and, and people were, and cabinets were splitting because Stern was removing simple things that made games Right, and now last. we're full circle. Now we're full circle and people are going, oh, but this is so great. What are you talking about? We've been... These are $10 parts. Well, every little part counts, unfortunately. And, and, and that's the sad part is that, that you know, if you look closely and it and it doesn't just apply to stern it also applies to other companies if you look really close at some of the games you'll see where they oh they took this out or they took that out or maybe they could have done that better i'm sorry i and that's why i stick with the classics and that's another reason why i think the remakes it are you know as good as they are, are on the rise because at least you know exactly what you're getting if they tried to take out the mothership from Attack from Mars and just have a, a three stand-up target and a ship that didn't move, people right. would call people would call CGC out and say, "You're cutting costs." Right. Because they had played it before, and they said, "Well, this was a really cool feature, even though it was simple as hell because it was just a solenoid that moved it." <laughs> How much do you think a stern LE should cost? Uh, well, in a perfect world, I think it would, should cost sub 6,000 if it's fully featured. And that would be on par with current. And that uh, is, and, and that is where they were before Jersey Jack showed them a new high. Yeah, but they have to be fully featured, not just new slapdick, you know, graphics on the freaking cabinet. You know, you know, it's crazy. You know, that's exactly what Lord of the Rings cost with all those features in it. Once again, I, it, you're talking, you're, if you, if some people say oh, you're comparing apples to oranges, it's not the same. You're absolutely right. It wasn't the same. It was better. <laughs> the games were better. The games were better. The games had more in them. The games had why, more. Why did people come to the realization now, like 20, 30 years later? Cause you know, unfortunately a lot of these nineties games that we treasure so much are, they are all, unfortunately, they are coming to the end of their prime as well, not just from the standpoint as a um, source. It's more from the source of being as a source of entertainment. I mean, pinball as a whole, 30 years from now, I have to agree with you based on the way that things are going. It'll be relegated to history. Right. When, but it's cool for when, those who still keep on. When you hear... Chris, I, I read a quote from Zach Sharp, who is the marketing director at Stern Pinball. Yep. And he said, fun equals value. It's irrelevant whether a game costs $1,000, $10,000, or $100,000. As long as the game is, is fun, it doesn't matter what it costs. What do you think about that kind of sentiment coming from Stern's marketing director? 
I think if it's worded properly within their own game context, I, I guess it doesn't really hurt them. I mean, I agree with the statement because I've got games that are sub $1,000 that I think are great fun and are 50 years old. No, but what he's saying is if the game is fun, it doesn't matter if it's $100,000. Like so well, I, I, it better be it better be plated a gold and has all sorts of weird features on it if it's going to cost that much. But, but, that's, but that's where we're at now, is that Stern is just on this continued cycle of every single Stern LE is $9,000, regardless how good it is, regardless how it's innovative it is. Turner. It's a butter churner. Look, right. they're going to ride this. They're going to ride this wave and butter churner like a surfer for as long as they possibly can until the economy drops. And at that point, they're going to scale back to a certain letting one, two games a year, and they will survive and move on if they choose to do so based on their investor council. Right. That, that's do, what's going to happen. And the rest of the companies are going to struggle to survive if they survive. Why do you think? These other companies are. Do you think they're all making a mistake trying to compete with Stern at the same price point? The same, like what? How do you compete with no dis- distribution model? Same price point, higher well, overhead. They have to. They, I mean, obviously, they have to be aware of what they call us. What is the acceptable going rate of a game today? You know, from the standpoint of operator, which of course is benchmarked at a Stern Pro. Um. And then it goes up from there in terms of whatever features. <sighs> Boy, you asked a good, this is a good question. It's hard to answer because you're, that's a tough one only because you're talking about each company has to analyze what Stern is already doing well, because they have to analyze the market constantly and, and finding out what the, you know, what, what can, they are setting the bar right now. What can the market bear? They watch. Do you That's think they you do that increase. though? How does it? Do. But how because does it come? Every year they can say, "How much can we raise prices, and people will still buy the game?" Or how much can we take out of a specific game, and people won't, and people will still buy it? I mean, right? I think I think Jersey Jack's mentality has not been stern, but he of course gets hit with the bomb, and and of course the additional design. I mean, I'm I'm aware of one of three of the original prototype parts of the Caribbean. That's what I love the question when somebody asked it in that twilight zone, 65,000 thread of, well, if, if this is $65,000, what does a pirates of the Caribbean Jersey Jack pinball game with three spinners? What would it go for? I think that's a great question. I've right. got the one of the, one of them is here. One of them is in Washington as part of a sale. I, don't, I might ask, what'd you, would you pay for it? But I bet it wasn't 65,000 bucks. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, I hope not. Um, I mean, like it's it's interesting to me because I I do believe that Stern has shown every company out there what you need to do to succeed, not just from like a manufacturing standpoint, but just the reality of the marketplace. But when I see games like Oktoberfest, Chris, I just I throw my hands in the air and I say. Fuck all these other companies. They don't. They don't understand market research. They're just well, making a game, and they they're just making a game in a vacuum. I, I once again, I will agree with you in that point. That I think that Oktoberfest was done partially in a vacuum. No matter how well it plays, theme is very important. Um, 
and I agree with Ben Hack when he interviewed with you, because I did listen to his, that a unthemed game versus a themed game, today, whatever people want to say, I agree with them that themed games are king. Right. They absolutely are. It is proven. Stern knows it. They are going to lock up every theme that makes sense for them to make a pinball machine, and they're going to use it accordingly. And that, that could be the Achilles heel of Deep Root. Because we know that they're, I think they're letting these designers make a lot of original IP. They have to be a very aggressive advertising campaign when they released or potentially are going to release the games. What do you mean? What do you mean? What I'm is, sorry, you may have been in poor connection. I just saw it. No, there's, but like pinball advertising is like non existent. I mean, like what they're going to need. You know, that's what's hard, right? It's like really easy to be like, here's Jaws pinball, right? Take my money now. And then they're no, like, here's... Still got still to advertise it somewhere. Here's Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland. Like, what? what? <laughs> I, you know, like, I, I think that you're right. I think that theme, and Ben is right, because Ben saw ben this... Ben is right, because it's the people who are... I mean, he said it. he said it right. I'm not here to be a peacock or a parrot. He said it right. Who is buying the games? The old guys that want to reminisce of their past history for themes that they remember. Makes sense to me. I I do that with games that I buy that are old games too. Absolutely. I mean, but that's the reason why I stick with my older games because that's what appeals to me. It's interesting because Stern seems to be looking more towards the past than the future with these new themes because... Everything I'm hearing lately is is older stuff. It's Elvira, it's Superman, it's James Bond, it's you know, I, I don't I don't see like Avatar 2 or uh, yeah. Well, they'll throw in a Guardians of the Galaxy for example when it was hot, you know, because it was a hot license. Um I mean, if they could get a Harry Potter which we know has been a struggle forever, you know, that would be a good license cuz it's still popular. Um right. Not what, sure about what about um, Bible adventures, but you know, <laughs> I mean, if, Chris, you know, and we're 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 definitely on the hour point now, so we'll we'll yep. definitely get you back on soon. Could you give any advice to newer companies that are just thinking of throwing their their efforts into the pinball ring? Like, is it worth yeah. it? Like, I, I think, see like Tokyo I, Drift. I see like this like what's this new like Dirty Donnie went over to another pinball company now to make that pinball carnival like is time shock even happening i know you know about that time shock it's been stalled for about a year and a half i haven't heard very much more development on that so they did i mean they did secure the use of the operate of the license and the and so on so on but they just it's a homebrew more of a homebrew project than anything else right the biggest thing that any company has to do and it would be more akin to your area is any potential company that would want to get into the pinball market must absolutely evaluate the market based on the number of companies, the number of machines that are going in on a yearly basis, the general populational demographics of not just who buys the game but how many they buy along with operators I mean, they have to do all this homework, like anybody, for example, that if, let's say it, it's comparative to a guy in a American city that wants to open up a large arcade, retro arcade. 
you know, it, can it support what he wants to do? Right. And to my and to my mind right now, I think we're oversaturated. I, I even though the the market as a whole, in terms of new pinball buyers for new in box, has grown, we're still a very small hobby, which makes it hard to swallow when you have six or eight pinball developers all trying to buy for personal dollars. So that that analysis that I'm talking about, which is partly what Deep Root did in conjunction before they were when they were when they were at the same time simultaneously searching out talent which i i applaud them to i didn't i was surprised that they were able to get as uh, many people as they did but obviously they the deep pockets is deep you know right. deep root <laughs> well we know they're paying very competitively and yeah, but the market I mean, is oversaturated i mean anyone who listens to this show anyone who follows pinball you go on and you see the plethora of games for sale with very low plays and mint condition. Couple that with all the new in-box games. Couple that with right. people running out of room in their homes. Couple that with people's wives getting sick of seeing 10 pinball machines in the living room. It, it It's going to get to the point where, like, I think everyone's going to wake up and be like, I'm good. I don't need another one. I don't need to spend another 9,000 every three months. Well, it's already started to happen. Like I said, it's, it's, it's just it, you just, the growth of the number of collectors does not support the volume of games, especially since used games starting from 2010. There's, there's more manufacturers there's now, Chris, than when pinball was in its heyday. Yeah, there were, you're absolutely right. In the nineties at its pinnacle, there well, is more collectors, more manufacturers today. Yeah. And you know it, and no one understands marketing because the white space is targeting the millionaire, and no one knows how to do it properly. Nobody. They're all. They're all just like. They're all trying to compete with Stern. Well, I think there is still some vestiges towards trying to support operators as well on a limited basis. There is. I mean, they don't want to completely give it up, and but, I but think the, it's mostly but the a diversification. Oper, the operator is Stern Pro. Yeah, absolutely. That that absolutely. if I'm an operator, that's what I'm buying. A five thousand dollar theme that everyone loves, that I can make money on. When I see operators put LEDs on location, I'm like, you're stupid. It happens all the time, but I mean, I, it's stupid. Yeah, I I'm I'm not here to judge. I thought that was I I thought it was pretty crazy that up here in Washington I can go play a big Lebowski on location. <laughs> so I mean, the, when I, I mean, see people I, do that. I thought that was awesome for a buck. I could go play it. I mean, it was pretty cool. I, I mean, I don't. I think that's the guy that was selling. Is that guy has two of them? He's selling the other one. But I uh, don't. I honestly, I didn't follow the thread. I mean, well, so. same thing. I saw you know here in New York, Pen, Al, who's the big operator, he put his Batman Super Limited Edition on location. And I and, and every time make I make more money. I don't every, know. He's not. Every time I go to the game, it's beat up, it's destroyed. Nobody cares that it's a super limited edition, which is only of appeal to collectors. It's weird to me. Well, there there is there is a small falling with the, the I wanna see the more advanced version in There's nothing more advanced in super limited edition Batman. That's the no, thing. No, no, no. I'm not I'm not disagreeing with that point. I am saying that there is a there is a there is a small crowd of players that do want to see these, you know, higher end games in you know locations 
because they, you know, they, they want to be able to play him since they're part of this enthusiast millennial, you know, revival crowd. Yeah, and I that, see it a lot. In that's Portland. even what Stern made the premium for, right? It's like, Oh, well, absolutely. If they're the same, I, in most cases they are, uh, um, to the LE. Yeah. But, no, I, I, I can, like, I, I think that if you're an operator, Stern pro is, is your, is your cash cow. I mean, it's, it's, 5500 bucks at most and it's themes that people love and then that's why i look at all the new new manufacturers and i'm like you guys don't get it like you're not going to beat stern on the pro front you're not going to beat them with license you've then you've got to go give the collector something special and you got to beat them to the punch yeah is what you got to do and it's tough yeah, you got to like you, you know who, the, the guy who had it all figured out from the collector standpoint was John Papaduke. He if, if Zidware succeeded, he he knew what they wanted. They wanted a rare game that was you know what rich people want? They want to feel rich. I, I always it's a, it's amazing to me how like how how like you, the, the problem is and Ben Heck said this and this is why I think he was he's so mad at Charlie is Charlie wouldn't like let him add price to get his license on his evil dead game is because charlie still thinks he's doing this for the good of pinball and he's not doing it for the collector it, it's for it's for expanding pinball give That's me a not break make him a lot of money I can no tell and it's you not that. making him a lot of money because you know at the end of the day what was he making a thousand dollars a game and to, to our to your point yeah. stern's making three four five thousand dollars a game like it's sure. And they and their and their volume is, is ten times his, hundred times his. Like it's, uh well, Chris, I always appreciate you coming on. This is a pivotal week because this, this, this is the final <laughs> week of the Twippy votes. Have you voted? This pumped the good luck. To ha- the have you voted yet? Podcast. Have you voted? Of course I have. All right. Now, for all of you out there, it is important to go to this week in pinball and vote, and then not just for this pinball podcast, but. I think recognition for all the hardworking men and women. I think it's. I don't think there's any women associated with any of the voting on on the ballots, Uh, but it is important. I think to recognize the best in the industry, and I think Jeff and Zach uh, have done a great job at creating a platform in which the people who love this hobby can can voice um, their accolades. So, go vote is my final sign off Chris anything else that you want to say before we let you go I like I said I just I, I hope that uh, people reminisce about Twilight Zone $65,000 <laughs> that they become more inclined to, you know it's like I said if, if you're if you're wanting to drop a lot of money into anything that's a toy of this nature please do your homework <laughs> okay right. know what you're buying because it will save you oodles of heartache later. Right. Right. It just, it will. And, I, and, and like I said, I, I've just seen too many people, first time buyers, new buyers, even old buyers make that mistake. And it, and, and I mean, it really can turn you sour. I mean, and I don't, and it doesn't help. Positive. Chris, that game, let's be honest. That game is like 60 it's like fifty thousand dollars overpriced. It's let me let me think about it. Yeah, you're about right. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> I uh, I have uh, yeah. It just 
you know, I know it, it, I, any logical person that's in, been in the hobby for a while recognizes it's overpriced, but it did serve its purpose and it got them noticed. Right. It sure did. So. Well, I'm going to list my Batman for sale for $800,000. So guys, yes. <laughs> <laughs> bid while you still can. Chris, thank you but so I much. I wish for... you all the best. Keep flipping. Yeah. Hey, take breaks if you need it. Don't burn yourself out because that's a travesty to the hobby. Nobody should you know, leave the hobby because they get burned out. Right. And, and, and that's a good point because I think all of us go through periods where you just need to take a break. You need to just not go on a pin side for a few weeks. You need to not think about pinball and come back with a, a more sort of refreshed outlook on it all. Because at the end of the day, it's a non-essential toy that should never cost $65,000. <laughs> oh, the, in, the insanity. <laughs> yeah. Chris, thank you so much. And we'll have you on again soon. It's been a long time, but we appreciate your return. No problem, Chris. All right. Later, yeah. man.